Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. What a great day to be here in the house. Amen? Yeah, I want to thank all of you who are here and those of you joining us online. We're glad to have you. Got a question for you to start with this morning. So with just a show of hands, how many of you have ever trained for some type of marathon? All right, okay. Like, you know, it could be a, a, a half or a whole, or maybe you walked it or ran it or biked it, but got a few. That's really neat. Neat. I, the closest I've ever come, we did a relay where you had to do five, and then um, the last person had to do six, so I made sure I wasn't the last person. So, yeah, because I was dying. But I did have two people in my family that, that trained and, uh, and, and were successful in that. And I just remember that, and, and there are some things I wanted to share with you um, about that. Um, I think part of the popularity of, of, of marathons is that it has to do with our desire to go beyond our own expectations, beyond our own limits that we sometimes place on ourselves. And in this case, we're talking physically and mentally, right? We're going above and beyond because there's so much to it. First, there's this grueling training period that has to happen day after day after day. And, and with that is the battle of our minds that's going on, right? Because that 5 o'clock alarm goes off and you either go train or you sleep. And, and it's just so hard there. And then secondly, we, we have to continue getting better. And what I mean by that, you got to keep adding miles, you know, daily, weekly, and monthly. So there's this constant push to get better and better and stronger and stronger. And then you have the dreaded setbacks. Like in anything, you have to deal with weather and injuries and scheduling and sickness. And sometimes you feel like you're just starting over again. And, and, and it's so tough. And then they tell me that when the day finally arrives, they say that most runners experience this hitting the wall sensation somewhere around that 18 to 22 mile portion of the race. And, and this is when our body just simply says, hey, that, that's enough. That's enough. Quit. What are you doing to me? right? And it's when the pain starts to set in all over and everything inside of you is shouting, quit, quit. But they tell me again, for those who are able to continue on, for those who are able to push through this invisible wall, that there's a point where they remember the process that they've been through. They remember all that they've sacrificed, all that they've trained for, and all that they've invested and this somehow creates this depth of discipline and obedience and belief. And this is what allows them not only to keep going, but to finish well. And guys, today, that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say, not only to his audience, but to us as well. That, that good starts are very, very important. But what really matters is, are we able to finish well this incredible journey that Jesus has put us on? Are we able to finish well? So, so if you have your Bibles in your, or your Bible app, if you'd please turn. We're looking in, of course, Hebrews. Going to be there for a while. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. And, and what we'll read today in these verses, that they're meant to serve as warnings and reminders for how God desires for us to finish so that we can stay in his rest. 
And the author, he, he does this by sharing, as I again drop my juice, the author, um, he's sharing this. He's sharing the, uh, an Old Testament psalm. And it was a psalm that every Jew would be familiar with because it served as the opening line for the call to worship every evening in their synagogue. It's Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. This reshares this psalm, and it says this. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that, that is why I was angry with this generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they, they had not known my, my ways. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So the first thing we see is this is the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, if you hear his voice, whose voice? God's, right? He's saying, if you hear God's voice. And the writer of Hebrews understood that originally the Holy Spirit was warning the psalmist hearers. And he was warning them with these words. And then he uses them 1,000 years later. And it's still the Holy Spirit saying this. And then for us today, 2,000 years after it was used in Hebrews, it remains the Holy Spirit's message because he's eternal. So today, today, if we are blessed to hear God's voice, may we listen and obey. He continues on in verses 8 through 9, and he says this, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Again, who's he speaking about this time? He's speaking now about the ancestors of those not only in Psalms, but those of his audience as well, because they were both Jewish audiences. And he's telling them, he's telling them about their ancestors who had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And what we do know is that God eventually heard their cries, right? He heard their cries because of the way they were being treated, and he sends Moses to take them out of Egypt. And, and so, guys, for the sake of time today, because we have a lot of verses to cover, I want to kind of give you a, a mini cliff note version of, of the historical exodus because we need to understand it. It's the backdrop of what we're doing today. But I thought we'd start with the Passover. You remember the great Passover where the Jews were instructed to put blood of lamb on top of the door frames. On, and that was that night, night before they go to bed. And then God would come later. And what God would do is he would pass over all those houses. But then he struck down all the firstborn of Egyptians, both man and beast. The next morning, every house of the Egyptians was affected in some way. And they say the crying and the wailing could be heard for miles. So Pharaoh who at this time was the most powerful man in the world, he demands that Israel leaves Egypt. Now, now you have to understand and, and how crazy this is, and you have to think about the fact that they've been wanting to escape for over 400 years. 400 years, and now all of a sudden, 1.5 million people, 600,000 of those who were men over 20, they begin an orderly exodus out of Egypt. Guys, they just walked out. They just walked out. And in the long history of the earth, 
Never has any group ever been so, have began so well with such great expectation and excitement because, you see, God was leading the way. Let me show you what he does. We're told that in Exodus that as soon as the Israelites entered the wilderness, so they've, they've, they've gone out of Egypt, they're entering the wilderness, and as soon as that happens, God forms this pillar of cloud in the sky, and this is to lead the way for them. And then at sunset, what God does is he changes the pillar to a pillar of fire so that every night Israel has light. Well, then what happens is the, the Egyptians suddenly realize that, guess what? We just lost all of our labor. We just lost it all. Now we're going to have to work? No, 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 no. Let's go get them and bring them back. And so that's what they start to do. They, they pursue the Israelites to bring them back. And, and they have them trapped. And it looks like they're going to be successful. They have them trapped right by the sea. And then God moves again. This time he takes the pillar and he puts it between the Israelites and the, and the Egyptians. So on one side, the Israelites have light. And on the other side, the Egyptians have dark. Now, you've got to remember, the Israelites were seeing all of this. And then the next thing we see, even more amazing, is God tells Moses, he says, hey, raise your staff. Well, Moses raised the staff in the air, and most of you know that what happens is the wind now blows this way and takes the water away on this side. Another wind blows this way, takes the water away, and there is a, actually a tunnel where they can walk on dry land in the middle of the sea. Well, the Egyptians see this, and they decide to follow. And what God does is allows them to get just enough all the way in, and then the waters come back, and the Bible tells us that every one of Pharaoh's army, the entire army, is drowned. Miracle after miracle, guys. Miracle after miracle was happening right before their very eyes. Things that only God could do. Now, you've got to imagine how confident they are becoming, right? They're seeing God take care of their every need. And so how confident they're becoming, how they should live the rest of their lives trusting and believing in God. But unfortunately, that's not the case. It didn't last long. You see, three days into the wilderness, the grumbling and the complaining began. This time because there was no water to be found. Now, guys, instead of going to the one who just parted the sea, instead of going to the one who just makes these pillar of cloud for them, all the things that God did, they decide to complain instead. They, they decide to complain. The next thing they complain about is the food. Listen to what it says in Exodus 16.3. The Israelites said to them, speaking of Moses and his staff, if only we would have died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now this was the beginning of the rebellion that this Holy Spirit is speaking of. This is the beginning of the rebellion. And this is why a trip that should have lasted about 11 days ended up a 40-year journey. All because of their unbelief. Now, you have to understand, today and then, there are all kinds of ways that we cannot believe God, right? Like in this case, they either didn't believe that God could truly take care of them and defeat all the obstacles in their way, or they didn't believe that God knew better than they did about how they should live their lives. 
But either way, either scenario, they didn't fully believe and trust in God. They saw miracles happening every time a crisis arose. And instead of thanking God and worshiping him, they chose to grumble and complain. Now, I want you to understand something. Anytime we start looking at all that we don't have, anytime that we start looking at all that we don't have and we forget all that God has given us, we too will start grumbling and complaining. Guys, it's no way. It's no way to live life. We need to thank God for what we have and be blessed. The grumblers and the complainers, that's not a way to live. The writer of Hebrews, he knew that this was the biggest concern for his audience. He knew because what was happening at this particular time, things were getting tougher and tougher for people who were confessing to be Christians. It, it could now cost them their families, their jobs, their status, possibly jail time, and even their life. And he knew, he knew that if this group he was speaking to, if their faith was not growing and getting stronger and deeper daily, he knew that like those running marathon, that they would hit a wall or as things got hard and they had no roots, they would just quit. And so will we. Again, I want you to see no one started better than these guys. They saw God do amazing things over and over again. And for a short while, they were all in. They were all in. But you see, because they did not continue growing, because they did not continue fully relying on God, they became that seed that fell on the rocky places where there was not much soil. Remember when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. They had no foundation. Good starts are important. Good starts are important. But what you and I, what we are supposed to do, what God desires for us to do is finish well. And to finish well, we have to continue growing daily. But he's equipped us to do that. Verse 12 goes on to say this. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, he's not saying that this happens overnight, but over time. Over time. And what we have to understand, the warning for us today is that we too have a rebellious spirit that wars in our hearts. And it's this rebellious spirit, it's this battle that rages daily between believing and trusting God by walking in his ways or not believing and looking back in our life and longing to be there. I've heard it said that there is a reason that the rearview mirror is 20 times smaller than our windshield. You see, we are to press on. We're to press forward. Like Paul, we're to press toward, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. Acts 7.39 said it this way, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They turned back to Egypt, and you know what the crazy thing about that is? They hated Egypt. They hated Egypt. They were the ones praying to God because Egypt treated them so harshly. The book of Exodus tells us that the Egyptians treated them ruthlessly and made their lives bitter. It says that they, all they had to do every day was either labor in bricks and mortar or with all kind of work in the fields. 
Not only that, but because they were growing so fast and populating, Pharaoh then placed an order to the midwives, the Egyptian midwives, to kill every male-born Israelite. And that's what they wanted to go back to. That's what they wanted to go back to. Isn't it amazing what we remember? We kind of remember what we want, don't we? The good old days. That's what they went back to. That's why they rebelled against the one true God. The truth is it makes no sense. But when our hearts, when we allow our hearts to get hardened more and more, it becomes harder and harder to see the truth. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is what your forefathers did. This is what your ancestors did. And this is what you will do unless you continue to grow. Again, that warning. He's saying, don't let this happen again. And then he tells them what they should be doing. In verses 13 and 14, he says this. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the end. In other words, finish well. Four things I want us to see here. The first is this. We're to guard our hearts. Again, this passage of Hebrews is a warning of how it's possible to start so well, but not finish well. Not preserve until the end. And so, guys, when we come to a passage like this, as believers, it's time to slow down and it's time to evaluate where am I today? Where am I? Am I growing? Am I growing? Am I holding fast to Jesus' beliefs? Or am I allowing the world and all its influences to take the lead in shaping our minds and our hearts? Believe me, the world's trying hard. What are we doing? Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Number two, the second thing we see in, this, in these verses is we're to encourage or exhort one another. Guys, as believers, God's placed the responsibility on us to lift up our brothers and sisters. Think about this. What if... Only a 1,000 people out of the 1.5 million that were coming back. What if only a 1,000 stood up for God? What if only a 1,000 remind the others, look what God has done for us. What are we doing? Instead of just Joshua and Caleb. Think about what could have happened. It's our job to check on our brothers and sisters. It's our job to remind them to persevere and to fight the good fight. We have to remind them that God will never leave them or forsake them. And the biggest thing is because they need it, but also because one day we're going to need it as well. You see, we all need these reminders. We all need to pick each other up because we're all at different places. Iron sharpens iron. The third thing we see in verse 13 is to watch out for the deceitfulness of sin. Watch out for the deceitfulness of sin. You see, deceit creeps in when we allow ourselves to believe something that we shouldn't believe, something that is not true. But just like the Israelites, you and I, 
we too battle. We battle against the world telling us that the, that the world that telling us that we know best how to take care of ourselves, that we know best when it comes to our own lives. Think about that for a minute, okay? And let me, let me just try to get real with you just for a couple seconds here. Think about what that's saying. What that's saying is this. Is it, it's saying that somehow I believe that I know better than the one who created me. I know better than the one who made me. Really. What it's saying is that, that I believe that somehow I know better than the one who knows the entire future. Guys, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. The third, the third is this, that somehow I know better than the one who created everything, controls everything, and sees and knows everything. When we, when we put it like that, do you see how, just, just, I don't know a better word, but how dumb it sounds. Do you see how arrogant it sounds? And, and truthfully, this can only happen when you and I are being deceived or believing a lie. But still the world wants to live with God as a genie. Take care of this and let me do my thing. Guys, that's not our God. The fourth thing that we, we are told in, in verses 13 and 14, we're to hold fast to Christ until the day God calls us home. We are to persevere. We are to persevere. We are to fight the good fight. And the only way, again, it's going to happen is to continue spending time with God daily, continuing to grow in Him daily, because that is our spiritual workout. That's where we get our spiritual muscles, just like the marathon runner. Now, when we hit the wall, we've got something. We're ready. At the end of the day, it's only in Christ and through Christ that you and I can persevere. It's only in Christ and through Christ that you and I can be fed the Word. Because we're going to be in a wilderness as well. And it's only in Christ and through Christ that we're protected and kept secure. You ever thought about who's watching over you when you're sleeping at night? You see, only Jesus is the answer. Because He is greater than anything we face. Verse 15 says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did during the rebellion. Yes, it's a repeat. Study tells us that the average person needs to hear or see a message seven times before it sinks in. My wife tells me more. <laughs> what this means is that you and I, we learn and remember best through repetition. Right? We learn through repetition. And here, our writer is going to remind us one more time of the importance of responding quickly when we hear God's voice. Because when we do that, there's no room for rebellion to set in. And then we finish today's verses in verses 16 through 19. And, and what he does is so neat. He does three questions, again, as reminders. He does three questions, and then he gives us three answers with the three questions. The first question is in verse 16. says this. It says, 
Who were they that heard and rebelled? The answer he gives is, were they not all of, Mo all of those Moses led out of Egypt? The point here is that everyone who died in the desert had begun with great expectations. But again, out of 600,000 men, only two got to receive God's rest. When they talk about God's rest in here, they were talking about the promised land. But also that when we receive God's rest, that's what we get to see what we were made for. We get to see our destiny. No one should miss that. Question two, and with whom was he angry with for 40 years? The answer to that question, was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the desert? The point of that is because of their unbelief, these men angered God for 40 years. They saw God work. They knew he was guiding and leading them, but their beliefs were not strong enough. Their spiritual muscles were not strong enough to allow them to continue to obey. Again, they had no root. Question three. And to whom did God swear that would never enter his rest? Answer, those who disobeyed. Those who disobeyed. You see, our disobedience that comes from our unbelief or our lack of trust will always prevent us from experiencing God's rest, from experiencing God's best, what we were made to do. The writer of Hebrews he uses this text from Psalm 95 to remind his audience and us that it was a terrible thing that the Israelites did by rejecting Moses. It was so bad that it cost them their earthly lives. But you see, there's more. There's more than that. Because for us, there's an even greater danger. Because Jesus is greater than Moses. And so when we reject Jesus, it's far worse, and we'll meet with an even greater act of God's wrath. Because, again, Jesus is superior to Moses. So for us today, the warning is to show us just how serious it is to reject our Savior. Because, you see, now it's different because now the punishment is forever. Now the punishment is eternal. Last Monday, I was, um, I was working out on our, on our athletic fields, and um, I was kind of cleaning up a little bit, and, and I looked over. We have a, a set of batting cages that the kids can hit in, and, and they have this, this rope that, that is very, very strong that won't allow the ball to go through. Well, as I look over in there, there is a, 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 ba a little baby rabbit, and, and the rabbit has stuck his head through the rope. Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you. If that were a snake, he'd be dead today. All right? But there is something about a cute, helpless rabbit that makes you want to help. And so I'm thinking, okay, what, what can I do, right? And I'm looking around, and I see Ron Richardson. Ron, Ron is uh, a guy that has just faithfully helped me cut grass for two years now. So, Ron, thank you. But I see him, and I call him over. I said, hey, what, what can we do? And, and as Ron reaches for the rabbit to try to grab him and hold him still so he can help him, the rabbit starts kicking and squirming. And the more that he does that, the more tangled up he becomes. And guys, one of the most incredible things that I've seen happen 
Now, I can't tell you if the rabbit just gave up, if he was playing dead, or if he knew that Ron was the only one that could help him. I don't know. But here's what I saw. Ron takes the rabbit, and the rabbit stands completely still. He's sitting in his hand. He's got his hand, in his, his hand around him to protect him. And he's got a pocket knife to his neck, cutting five strands of rope. He gets through, the rabbit shakes his head, and he runs off to freedom. He just runs off to freedom. And you're saying, great, Mark, but why do you tell me that? Because it hit me Tuesday night. It hit me Tuesday night. This happened Monday, but Tuesday night it hit me. That, that, that's who we are. Because so many times in our lives, you and I, we, we kick and we twist and we resist over and over as we try to find a way to save ourselves. And guys, just like that rabbit, what happens is we end up getting more and more tangled up, don't we? We get more and more tangled up. But the great thing is, it's just like Ron was for that rabbit. God is sitting there patiently waiting. He's waiting for us just to give up and to be still and let him untangle our mess. That's what God wants to do. That's who he is. So maybe today, maybe you're hearing God's voice. Maybe God's saying to you, quit running. Quit kicking. Quit squirming. Just be still. Just be still and let me cut you free through the blood of my son. I want to do that. And for those of us who know, what a great reminder today is. Because what today does is it makes us slow down again and check ourselves. You see, this is not a, a checkoff, right? This is something that we have to do daily. This is something we have to do for the rest of our lives. It's a journey. We have to examine and see where we're at and see if we're on the right track to finish well. And guys, our, trek, our checkup question is really, really simple. Do I truly believe that God knows and wants what's best for me? Do I believe that? Do I believe it so much that I give him complete control of everything I do and everything I am? And if not, why not? God is not a genie. God is the one who wants all of us. God is the one that says, I will change you to be like my son Jesus. I will create in you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will make you a new person. That's who God is. So many people looking for a get out of hell free card. And God's going, there's so much more. There's so much more. You see, we need these reminders in our lives. We need these reminders like Psalm 95 because the world we live in is so fast. It just keeps spinning and spinning and going and going. And if we're not careful, we don't slow down and we don't evaluate and we don't examine where we are. And we wake up one day and we go, how did I get here? You see, we, we are on this journey, but we have to be reminded we have to be reminded that you can start well. You can, but, you know, you've got to continue that race. You've got to continue moving and going. Otherwise, like the Israelites, you fall away. And you miss God's rest. We get one more chance this morning. 
one more chance for an incredible memory time, an incredible remembrance time. And that is that you and I get the, the privilege and the honor of taking communion together. So if you have your packet with you, if you would just take that out. If you need one, there's some in the back, and we'll be glad to wait until you get one. In Luke 22, verse 19, we are told that Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying this, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was saying, remember, remember who I am. Don't ever forget. Remember that I've done everything that you need. I've taken care of that. All you have to do is believe. That's it. Then he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What he was saying there, it is finished. It's finished. Guys, Jesus Christ is greater. He is greater than anything you and I will ever face. And he willingly gave up everything for us. He left a perfect heaven to come to this earth to be beaten and spit on. And he stayed quiet as they accused him and as they strung him up. All because he wanted to make sure you and I had a way to be forgiven of our sin. And the most important question that you and I will ever answer in our lives is what do I do with that? What do I do with the fact that Jesus died for me? What do I do with that? Because the only way you and I can finish well is through the power, through the power of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit that lives in us as believers, through daily times of of getting stronger and deeper so that when the wall comes we bust through it the writer of Hebrews is reminding us the goal is not to finish well not to start well the goal is to finish well I remember reading all the time, I just remember, and it kind of haunted me, where God told, talked to Solomon. You remember? And God asked Solomon, what, what do you want? What do you need? Solomon said, God, I need wisdom so that I can rule the people the way that you want me to. And, and I think about that question a lot, and I thought about it a lot for the last few years. Just what would I say if Jesus came to me today and said, Mark, what do you need? 
And I truly believe that I would say, may I please finish well. May I please finish well. May I please finish this journey that you've put me on. May I please maximize what you've done for me. And may I just finish well. And may I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Today, if you hear his voice, please don't harden your heart. Please don't run away. If you need to do business with God, you can come up here. You can do it in your seat. Do whatever you need to do. But don't give rebellion a chance to set in. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us of what happens when we reject the one true God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father God, I just, I just thank you for the day. I thank you, Lord, that you are so awesome and so great. I thank you, God, that you have provided everything we need, God, Lord, to not only be saved, but to be changed and to become a new creation. And, Lord God, to finish well what you've called us to. God, as we finish well, we're going to get the chance to point others to you. And that is the greatest privilege in the world. Please, Lord God, throughout this church, please, may we be that group. May we be those who want to finish well. And may we put in our spiritual training so that we too are ready for whatever comes. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.